At the end of last service, uh, we prayed uh, for the victims' families uh, after the Orlando uh, shooting. And um, in the intervening week, I just keep seeing literally Facebook, Twitter, newspapers, everything is exploding uh, talking about this. And so as a church, I just kind of want to give the encouraging pastoral reminder. Uh, We are to love and serve everyone who is made in the image of God. We are to love and serve everyone who is made in the image of God. And so when things like this happen, we should then reflect the, the love and service of our Savior and love and serve all because they are loved by God and he, he wants the best for them. And so now we have the chance to pray for those families. I ask that you pray for the families and friends who lost loved ones. I ask that you pray for those who survived the shooting and are now going to have to relive that incident for a long time. Pray for their healing process and pray that they come to know the God of peace the one who is actually going to give them more than they could ever hope and imagine than just, quote-unquote, getting over it. That is not going to be for a while. Pray for them. And just, uh, I want to take this moment and just pray for us, pray for them as we get rolling. Lord, we know that you are sovereign. You saw it coming. You hate what happened. These were your children. I ask for the churches who are there in Orlando that you give them supernatural strength to love and to serve, to continue to go above and beyond. Let them show the love of Christ. Christ, make yourself known to many who are suffering. Let them see you as the one who will heal. It's in your name we trust. Amen. So back to sermon. Glad you all are here. We are in week two of our sermon series, Covenant Questions. Uh, Week number one was covering the question, who is God? And this week, we're going to cover, what has he done? In this series, we're actually seeking to answer the questions that humanity has been asking since time began. Who is God? What has he done? What does he do? Who am I? And what's my response? What am I supposed to do? This is what we are seeking to cover in this series. Uh, We looked back at the Bible, and God made these covenants. Covenants are agreements of loyalty, agreements of loyalty with Israel. And he said to them, this is who I am. And because uh, because of who I am, this is what I do. Now, based on who I am and what I do, This is who you are, and based on who you are, which is very rooted in who I am and what I do, this is what you are to do. This is how you are to live. And so he made covenants with five separate groups of people. It's really all of Israel, but he made it with Adam and Eve. He made it with Noah. He made it with Abraham. He made it with Moses, and he made one with David. And each of these were to call them as Israel to know God. And this isn't like factual knowledge. It's not like God said, okay, here is a big list of things that I am and that I do, and I want you to have them memorized. There will be a test in a few weeks. It's not like that. He wants them to know him in an intimate and personal way. The goal of the covenants was to know God in an intimate and personal way. Since we covered how amazing God was as we went through the covenants. And we just said, okay, who does God reveal himself to be? Because here's the fun part. These covenants were God reaching out. He was initiating the relationship with Israel. And so as he is initiating this relationship, he's coming down on their level. He wants to make sure they know 
who he is. And so as we look at the covenants, we get to see who God wants us to most clearly see him as. He comes down on Israel's level like a father, down eye to eye with the kid and speaks to them so that they know who he is. In the same way, we're going to talk this week and see that this good father, God, the good father, made those covenants and answered these questions so that he could give us the greatest gift, himself. Himself. Now, I grew up in Indianapolis. I am what you might call a Hoosier. I don't like IU, but I am a Hoosier. So, uh, we're from Indianapolis. My family has a friend. She works high up at the Pacers organization. Anytime we kind of wanted to go to a game, we just said, hey, could we go to a game? And she said, here's tickets. It was fantastic. Because of that, I went to a lot of Pacer games growing up. And because of that, I am a massive Reggie Miller fan. Reggie Miller played for the Pacers from 2000 and, I'm sorry, from 1987 until 2005. My mother thinks he looks like a Ferengi, like with his ears sticking out. That's a very old Star Trek reference, but seriously, every time he comes up, I'm like, yeah, that's him. So, Reggie Miller, 18-year career. He put in 47,000 619 minutes over 1,389 games. Reggie was an 88.8% free throw shooter. Dude hardly missed. He retired with 88.8. Get him to the free throw line, those are almost guaranteed. And he was 47% from the floor with a field goal percentage of 47%. His three-point percentage was 39.5. Why that matters is because he hit them when it mattered most. He was clutch. Now go back with me. It's game four, the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals. My Pacers were playing Michael Jordan's Bulls, who were in search of their sixth title. Game four at Market Square Arena. There are seven-tenths of a second left in the game. My Pacers are down one, and we have the ball. Seven-tenths of a second. If you were a fan of basketball at all during that time, or you may have seen a documentary or two, you may have seen this clip. 2.9 seconds. Harper's on Miller. McKee gets it in the middle for the win. Unbelievable! Reggie hits the three with seven-tenths of a second to go. See, I feel it in my bones. That right there, that's not just a story I want to share with you. I share it because it is a memory. I was there. I was there. I was up in the very upper deck, and we were watching the game. When the, when the play gets set, and Derek, Derek McKee throws it to Reggie Miller, he burns, absolutely torches Ron Harper, his initial defender, and then 100% illegally shoves off Jordan. No call. I'll take it turns around, nails the three. When he hits that, that place was literally deafening. It was shaking. Market Square, everybody was screaming and jumping. Everybody was so excited. I have not become a Reggie Miller enthusiast because I read that he was the three-point assassin. No. I am a Reggie Miller apologist because I've seen it 
time and time again. I didn't just read stats about Reggie. I saw that who he was translated into what he did. And that is why I always will be. I, I, if you ask me what I root for, I will answer first and foremost, I bleed blue and gold. And then I'll say, yes, I root for the Pacers. Yes, I root for the Colts. I understand I'm on enemy territory. We'll move on from there. So our main passage today is from Psalm 103. So if you have a Bible, you can grab it. If you need a Bible, my friend Sarah will be glad to get you one. So slip up your hand if you would like a Bible. It can be in your hand. It will be on the screen. David, like myself in this past example, he didn't just read about God. He didn't just hear about something that God did. In fact, God reached out to his people through the covenant so that they could know him. And David knew him. David knew him. David talked to him. He had this intimate knowledge of him. To me, this chapter reads as somebody who has a very good relationship with God and just wants to tell everybody, just wants to tell everybody about how amazing God is. Look at verses one through five. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There are benefits from following God. There are benefits from honoring him. What are those? Why, thank you for asking. Verse three, who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? I read these verses and it sounds like, you know when you're on the phone with somebody? And you can tell when they're smiling. You can hear a smile in their voice. It's like I can hear David smiling. And beyond that, I can almost hear and see him crying. He is so excited. He has experienced this intimately with God, and he wants everybody to know it. And he wants them to know how incredible he is. The mental image I get in verse 4, as it talks about what God does, When you're in the pit and it is dark and it is deep and it is away from others and you think, I can't get out of this. And God comes and he reaches down and he redeems you. He takes you out and he puts you on solid ground. But at that point, he doesn't just say, high five, good. I'm glad you're here. I'm out. He takes you up from the pit and then crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He's right there. He has not just saved, but he has continued to bless. This is what God does. This is how the good father acts. Verse six, the Lord works justice. I'm sorry, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Okay, this is David talking about the covenant that God made with Israel. He is bringing Israel of David's time. He is taking them back mentally and say, remember the time that God told Moses about who he was and what he did. Remember? Remember the covenant? 
And he's talking to people who are covenant people. And so he is telling them, remember the covenant people that you are? Because this is who you are. Remember when God came down to Moses? Let's remember that. Let's not forget that. We serve a covenant God. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 8 really stands out to me. If you want a verse to just quickly memorize, to always have in your mind, always be at the tip of your tongue or tatted on your wrist or somewhere, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is a beautiful combination of who God is and what he does. And then if you're like, ah, I'm kind of having a hard time understanding what the steadfast love looks like. Verse 11, 12, and 13 is this beautiful explanation. Because it's talking about God And it says, okay, what does that love look like? Okay, well, you know how high heaven is from earth? Can you touch that point up there when it transitions from earth to heaven? Because I know I can't. And that entire span, that entire distance, that is how much he loves us. Oh. Yeah, but what about my sin? Oh, oh, that. Okay, well, as far as from the east, from the west, that unknowable separation that difference that you cannot put a finger on and a finger on, that is how far away he has removed your sin. Oh. Okay, but how does that really look like? That's cosmically speaking. I don't get to see that every day. Oh, okay. Well, as a father shows compassion to his children, again, I keep using this imagery, as he gets down on the level with us, arms wide open for the hug, or the ability as a dad to sit and listen to your kids when they may or may not be obedient, when they may not be acting as you want. It's the ability of the loving father to show compassion to those kids. This is how God loves. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. This is who we are, by the way. We're frail of frame. It's dust. Our days are like grass. We might come up like a flower. Boom, amazing, beautiful, great gone. That's very temporary. What about God's love? Is it temporary like us? 
Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This is so much fun to read and see that God is this God who pursues, who loves, who continues to love. And then it tells us the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. His rule and his reign is over everything. There is not a finite point again. Oh, you've reached the end of God's love. Now you can exit through the gift shop. There is an increasing amount of love as well as his power, his rule. It is over all. It is through all. We can see him. And then David gets to the end. Verses 20, 21, and 22. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. So this isn't just coming back and hearkening to 103 verse 1 that said the exact same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It is being repeated at the end. Anytime you see repetition, that means it is very important in the Bible. This is poetic language. This is a parallelism, and in fact, a climactic parallelism. So as he repeats, he is building to something all the more important. He starts with the angels. He then goes to the armies, the hosts that do his will. He then goes to his works, the things that he has done that declare his name. Those things bless the Lord, praise him. And then it gets to the very end. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There is a cry for David. Let it not just be God's majestic, all you things praise him. It's a personal thing. Bless the Lord. Know God in an intimate and personal way. David is crying out for Israel to do this, to come back to the covenant, to know God in an intimate and personal way. Now, if you take a step back from the passage and you kind of look at how the verses are broken down, it's kind of cool because it's almost set up like a mini covenant. This chapter answers the questions almost sequentially, who is God and what has he done? There's a back and forth between who is God and what has he done through the first 13 verses. Then it gets to verse 14 and it answers that question, well, who am I? Well, you are created, you are finite, you are known, and you are cared for. Oh, that's amazing. Well, what am I to do? And it finishes there with the cry, bless the Lord. This is how we we are to respond. This is how we are to, to act towards God. We are to bless him with everything that we are. Now, beyond just this really cool observation that this is set up like a covenant as it calls people to come back to the covenant, there are three very quick observations that I see in the passage that are gonna be good as we kind of look towards God. The first thing, who God is directly informs what he does. 
And what he does always flows out of who he is. Those two are forever intertwined. As you can see in that back and forth in the first 13 verses. So if you were to ask somebody, how do you know God's kind? It is rare if you ask them, they're going to respond, oh, I I read it in a book. No, you ask them how they know God's kind and they're going to respond with a personal story that allows them the opportunity to say, I was witness to God's kindness and he showed it to me here. It's always that personal story. It's always that personal thing. Why? Because the actions of God will always, the actions of God will always declare his character. The way he acts is never out of step with who he is. So David's proof of God's loving kindness and graciousness, it's evidenced by his many acts of forgiveness and patience. Second thing, God's actions, they're covenant actions. So as the passage cites directly and indirectly, God's faithfulness leads him to caring for generation upon generation. God made the covenants. He said, I am faithful. He said, I am loyal. And then he proceeded to be faithful and loyal. Anytime we see him act, he is actually living out the covenant. Each action declares, I am still faithful. I am still following the covenant I have made with you. This is who I am. I haven't changed. This is who I am. And I want you to know who I am. And the third thing, remember how at the start of the passage, I I mentioned how I felt David was probably in tears writing this. I feel that there is that very deep emotional connection that David has with God because of the reward for covenant faithfulness. The reward for covenant faithfulness was knowing God in an intimate in a personal manner. That's actually what you get. The reward for obedience to God was more of God. (laughs) Goodbye. The reward for following the covenant was more God. It wasn't just something that he could give you. Many times people have talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And they talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they work their lives to saying, I want to have more joy. I want to have more love. I want to have... And the thing is, they go about those as if they are the end. That is the byproduct. You get more love when you get more of God. When you go hard into God, when you see him and when you have that relationship with him, love is the outflow. Joy is the outflow. Peace is the outflow. David's reward for covenant faithfulness was more of God. And it's always going to be that way with the covenant. We get more of him. Now, for two weeks, I've been going pretty hard on the covenants. Many of you might think I'm crazy. Um, Well, I might be, but this isn't proof of it. Uh, I want to explain why. So in Mission Partner Prep, uh, we cover a story that's called really the story of God because the Bible really is God's story. In God's story... He reveals to us who he is and what he's done. Who he is and what he's done. And they have, we have uh, six symbols that we'll go over in the story of God. So Gabe's going to bring up some of these. If the first one here, you have the arrow coming down. 
the arrow coming down. This is God coming to us at creation. Genesis 1 and 2, coming down and creating man. The second image is the big X. This is when sin has entered the world. That's Genesis chapter 3. So Genesis 1 to 3 have actually covered just those first two symbols. And then the next symbol, God's pursuit of humanity, that is actually Genesis 4 through the rest of the Old Testament. So we have two symbols, three chapters, and one symbol for almost the whole of Scripture. Okay, this is God's pursuit of Israel through the covenants. Through the covenants. God is continually saying, these covenants are important. This is how I am coming to you. This is how I am pursuing you. This is how I want you to know me. So these covenants, these things I'm talking about, these are not just facts of the Bible I want to teach you about. These are actually linchpins for which the whole of Scripture is hung upon. They are not speed bumps that slow you down in the middle of your character studies of your favorite Old Testament people. This is what most of Scripture is hung upon. We get to see, as we analyze the covenants and the story of God, that this is how he wanted his people Israel to know him. It's actually how he wanted the whole of humanity to know him. He reached out to Israel first. And they blew it. They flat out, hardcore, royally blew it. God told people who he was. And who he was was everything. It was everything that they could hope for. It was everything, it was more than they could ever imagine. And then, to show it, he went out for Israel. He went and acted in their favor. He defended them against enemies. He made this covenant with them. He blessed them with land. He built them up into this great nation. God acted in their favor. And how did they respond? Did they faithfully live out the terms of the covenant? Did they get to know this magnificent being on a continual basis? Did they seek him in all that they did? In fact, they did not. They rejected him frequently. God continued to add blessings. Each covenant was almost an addition of blessing, but it wasn't because Israel had kind of like reached a certain level. They'd reached a quota, and God's like, sweet, now you get the bonus weapon or something. It's not how it worked. God continued to come to an unfaithful people and say, I love you, I am blessing you, and this is, I am making a new covenant because I want you to know me even more. See, Israel actually was referred to as the son of God a few times in the Old Testament. Israel was to be the faithful child to the loving father. And instead, they acted like they wanted out of the family. God showed them a way to know him, and Israel said no. God the Father knew Israel would always be like this. He actually knew humanity would always be like this. From the start of creation, even before creation, You see, before it sounds like I'm bashing the Jews or Israel, the reality is, let's be clear, God chose Jesus to be our way to know him before creation. Before creation, he had already chosen to send his son to make a way to know him in an intimate and personal way because he knew that none of us could live up to his ways. He knew that none of us could fulfill those covenants. 
See, when he gave the covenants, he actually put ways in there for us to be made right with God because we, we couldn't. We just couldn't. And he said, okay, I'm going to put in some sacrifices. And you have the ability to take your sins to take an animal, to kill the animal, and for your sins to be transferred, kind of like the wrath of God was taken out on the animal instead of you, the person, and it was taken care of. It was atoned for. Thing is, they had to do it all the time. All the time. Being a priest was a very bloody endeavor because everybody sinned. Constantly sin, constantly being a payment for sin. And this process continued, that arrow going forward, God making a way and continuing to love his people and pursuing them. And then he sends his son. He knows that we needed a way. We could not fulfill the covenant. So Jesus came as the true Israel, 100% man. 100% God, and he followed the path that Israel had been called to follow, but they didn't, but he did. He walked it perfectly. He walked it perfectly. But the thing is, he didn't just play the role of Israel. He wasn't just the true Israel. Then he took on the role of the sacrifice. He was the true servant, the true son, and he was the perfect sacrifice who obeyed the covenant, and then died on the cross, a brutal, brutal death. But it just wasn't an ending of life. He was, the big word, the substitutionary sacrifice, meaning he took our place. We should have died. He took our place. He took the beating. He took the death. He took the wrath of God. It was all poured out on him. He made a way for us to know God. So what did God do? He made a way for us to have eternal forgiveness through faith in Jesus who died as the faithful covenant representative. He was faithful. We were not. Here's the beauty. It doesn't stop there. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. (laughs) He rose from the dead. He rose from death. He beat death. Christ He beat our two greatest enemies, sin and death. Humanity, humanity, humanity had been wrestling forever, saying, how do we get around these things? We just keep dying, and we keep not being able to be perfect. And Jesus beat both of those. He beat both of those. And because he beat it, sin and death, and he rose from the dead, we are free. We are free. As the comedian Dan St. Paul cites, Jesus got up and he hit a bases empty grand slam. We brought nothing to the table. (laughs) And he did everything that we couldn't do. But it doesn't stop there. See, he left us his Holy Spirit. God in spirit, somehow getting into our being. Please don't ask me how he fits in. I'm not sure. Don't know how the whole God in us works, but I know he's promised us to be here. He is here. He has been given to those who have faith in him, those who believe in him, those who trust him as their Lord and Savior. Those are synonyms. Those are all the same thing. 
His spirit is given to us. And so when David seeks after God and the reward for following the covenant is more of God, he sends his son to die so that we can forever know God in an intimate and personal way. He has given us the spirit. So we actually have God with us, in us, available to us so that we can live for him so that we can know him and live for him. Who is God? He is this good and loving father. What did he do? Well, in light of his covenant faithfulness, he pursued us. He made a new covenant through his son, Jesus, so that we could get more of him in our lives. It comes down to that. Today, we've talked about this good father. Now, you've heard about his character. You've heard about his actions. You've heard me talk about how he showed us love and he made a way for us to know him in an intimate and personal way. But the question always is, what are you going to do about it? You're going to go on, say, okay, sweet, I learned a little bit more about God. Write it down and go on with my Father's Day. Are you going to confess your need for a Savior? to repent of your sins that he's actually paid for, coming to him for the very first time as Lord and saying, I need you because I I haven't figured it out on my own. I need more of you in my life. Or in fact, are you somebody who's heard this and you said, I've said that before, but I still feel myself saying, I really need more of you in my life. I've been walking away. I've been ignoring you. I've been acting like there are certain corners of my proverbial house in my mind that are off limits to you, God, and that you want to clean. How is God moving in you to respond to him with who he is and what he has done? As Jen comes back up here to lead us in a song of reflection, I want us to think through all that he has done and then what is he calling you to? What is he calling me to? I can't answer for you. I can only answer for me. So where you are, take a moment. Close your eyes. Don't look at other people. And begin to think, Lord, how do you want me to respond? What are you doing in my heart? Jesus, we know if we believe what you have written in your scripture that you have made a way for us. You have made a way for us to know you. You've made a way for us to leave the pit. You've made a way for us to have life. Lord, let us not walk away from here and say, oh, gee, that was neat. What does it mean to come into contact with you, Lord? How do you want us to respond? Open our eyes and our ears to the greatest gift that you could have given us, yourself. Lord, show us the way that we can know you intimately and personally.